Indeed, uh, Jesus has done all things well. And as we turn to the Sermon on the Mount, and you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, where we'll be uh, looking at really the second to the last of our uh, sermons in this fall sermon series. I, I hope it's been an encouraging time for, uh, for all of us. We, uh, we probably don't uh, probably wouldn't be gospel-centered to pat ourselves on the back too much for, uh, for progressing through a book of the Bible at the same time as uh, uh, many have, have been here uh, week in and week out uh, or at uh, other regular intervals throughout the fall. We, uh, we are hopefully growing, growing in the Lord and seeing more of who Jesus is and seeing how he does all things well. And, and in reality, his uh, kingdom, the paradigm for his kingdom, we can really ultimately see that all encapsulated in, in Jesus. And who he is. Uh, that's what the kingdom's about. That's, that's how we uh, know about the kingdom. That's how we enter the kingdom is through, through Jesus. So he, he is ultimately the gate. That's, that's how we're enabled through his power uh, to walk in the kingdom. All of it's ultimately about Jesus. And, and so today as we turn uh, to these verses, our, our hearts should be focused not only on the words of Christ, but on the uh, person of Christ. And we... We started last week in this Matthew chapter 7, looking at uh, verses 13 and 14, which uh, describe these two pathways. And we see a uh, dichotomy laid out, a a contrast uh, put before us in in this section of Scripture all the way to the to the end of chapter 7, that there's there's two ways. And and those ways, you know, one's broad, one's narrow. There's there's two gates to enter into them. There's two destinations, one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. There's two groups. There's the the many and there's the few. We see as we progress through this passage and you'll see today as we start in verse uh, 15 that there's also two uh, teachers. There's there's good teachers, good instruction that we can hear about God's word. And there's there's bad. There's lousy instruction as well false instruction we're going to see as well that there's two ways of building of actually uh taking that word and doing with it what we're supposed to there's to hear it and not do anything with it or there's to hear it and do it uh two ways of building one that's on the rock and one that's on the sand jesus is clearly driving us to see a contrast drastic contrast between two pathways that we can go in our lives and urging us, obviously, to stay clear of the path that leads to destruction, but also to stay clear of any mindset that says, ah, there's a sort of middle ground I can kind of muddle through life and muddle through spirituality. He's urging us to, to find his path, to find his life, and to build our house spiritually on the rock. It's interesting as well, and we're going to see in a minute as we read it, there's a sort of progression also, right? You, you, uh, you first need to figure out that there is a, a pathway here and a pathway here. You've got to discern, okay, there's two different ways to go. And then make that choice to go on the pathway. And then, and then as you're going on that pathway, there's messages coming in about how to stay on that pathway, how to live on that pathway. And some of those are false and some of those are true. You have to discern between those two messages. And then once we have heard that message and discern the true message, Jesus says it's crucial that we actually do what it says. And that's going to affect how we Build. So there's actually a progression through these verses, and I invite you to stand with me as I read aloud and you read along silently. 
We stand in recognition of God's word and its truth and these beautiful but uh, incredibly challenging words of Jesus, starting in verse 15. I'll read them aloud as you read along silently. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man built his house on sand. Rain fell, floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray together. Father God, we uh, ask that you would give us discernment to see uh, the two ways, that you would give us insight uh, to distinguish false from true teaching, that you would expose areas where we're doing things outwardly, even significant things, but yet inwardly aren't really living out the word. And ultimately, Lord, we pray in all of this, you'd help us to be those who, by your grace, build the house of our spiritual life on the rock of not simply hearing, but doing the things that you tell us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you want to follow along in your, in your bulletin, your worship guide, there's a section at the back of the sermon notes. And the, the main idea that, that's really the culmination of all of these verses, we're going to talk about a few of the different contrasts identified, but, but where it's all heavy, heading, where it's all driving is this, because a spiritual life not built on doing God's word will crumble, we should build our spiritual life on the rock. It's probably one of those passages that we've heard growing up, maybe uh, some of us in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school, or at least are familiar with from our general uh, culture, uh, this idea of building on the rock versus on sand. And Jesus is saying that it's absolutely essential to our spiritual understanding that we get this picture. I thought another way to perhaps uh, help us understand this analogy would be to to, to take it out of its familiar scope and maybe map it on to the, to the medical field, to our uh, physical, medical health. 
and see if maybe it would help us to understand the, the sort of progression that Jesus is talking about here. So, so walk uh, with me through this, if you would. Uh, you know, Jesus is urging us to, to take the narrow path, we might say, of, of health. Uh, instead of the broad path to spiritual illness. And, and although it'd probably be kind of unusual for us to think about, there, we could imagine a scenario where someone looked around and said, hey, um, it, it, it looks like everybody has some kind of ailment physically in our physical health. Therefore, there must not be any path to physical health. Right? We shouldn't even mess with that. Uh, conversely, maybe someone could look at around and say, you know what, all the things that we think we're struggling with, with our bodies and our sickness and even serious, you know, it's just a sort of figment of our imagination. We're really okay. We're really okay. We're pretty doggone healthy people. Uh, maybe it'd be unlikely for folks to think that way, but there is that mindset in our spiritual realm when we think about it. That we say, nah, everything is, is okay. Or everything's so messed up, there surely can't be some way of rescue, some way of hope in spiritual things. Or, or perhaps more likely, let's uh, picture it this way, this trying to discern the, the, the broad way versus the narrow way. We could picture someone, and, and I, I mean no offense to anyone here that's maybe a uh, pursued some various uh, alternative cures to some of your, your health needs. But we could picture somebody who would, would say that, uh, you know, finding uh, help from a, a, an herbal remedy, a, a sort of tribal uh, medicine man, or even just a, a more personal exercise, that those would, be, those would be good ways to deal with a heart, heart attack. Right? Don't worry about the heart surgeon. Just try these, these other pathways. They're, they're probably all equally valid to deal with it. Most of us, maybe a few of us wouldn't agree, but most of us would say, you know, at some point, while these other things might provide some kind of help, you might need to have heart surgery. It, it might just be that serious. And yet in the spiritual realm, we find it so difficult to say that, that, that even if uh, perspectives spiritually of other world religious belief systems or just of the secular humanism that pervades our time, that those things might be really sincerely held. You might really think that that's going to give you hope and give you healing. But in fact, Jesus is the only way to find that hope and healing. So Jesus urges us then to get on this path. Let's consider, continue our medical analogy. All right. So once, once we discern that there is a pathway to health versus a pathway to sickness, let's say we've come to that point. You've got to d- decide on a method of treatment. All right. And this is where we get into the section of the scriptures about the false prophets and the truth. And Jesus reminds us here that, uh, that there's a reason they call it practicing medicine. Right. We, we, we mean no insult here to the medical professionals. They, they do a great job. Many, uh, some of the great minds in our time serving in that way for us. Incredible technology and resources committed to our health. But we all know there is a thing called malpractice, right? It can be those that give us good advice or bad advice about our health. And, and, and how do you learn? Jesus tells us here, he says, by their fruit, you know, if the doc who's supposed to be fixing people's knees, everybody who comes out of his office is still walking like this, you know, two years later, 
you think, well, maybe there's something wrong there. Or if people don't make it off the operating table very often for a particular doctor, we say there's some malpractice, there's something wrong there. Jesus says in the spiritual realm, we've got to have the same kind of discernment that we'd have in think, you know, thinking about getting a doctor, picking out who's the best one, making sure that we understand, that we know where truth is coming, that it's sound teaching for us. Uh, then uh, even if we discern, okay, that there's a healthy pathway and we discern that we need to figure out between uh, the, the advice we get and where we get our, our information about how to live our, our uh, spiritual lives and how to live our physical health lives, then you, you might end up saying, well, you know, uh, I feel like I'm good. I do some push-ups every day. I can, can run, uh, run a mile pretty good. And at the same time, we all know something can be wrong deeply inside. You can have a ticking time bomb inside you, but uh, one day you're out exercising, things are going real well, you look physically healthy, just like the people in this passage who say, hey, we're crying out, Lord, Lord. We're not only calling the name of the Lord, we're actually doing some pretty awesome spiritual stuff. We're casting out demons. We're doing some powerful things. We're, we're active in that way. Uh, we all know we can be active physically and still have something seriously wrong on the inside. And then lastly, Jesus says uh, all of this comes down ultimately to what the uh, medical folks call compliance. They call it compliance. It's kind of a rough word, I guess, but that's what Jesus is saying, isn't he? He's saying you can know that there's a, a pathway to health versus a pathway to uh, sickness. You can uh, realize that you need to discern who to listen to about that pathway. You can recognize that things can be good on the outside but broken on the inside. But ultimately, if we don't come down and actually do what the folks tell us to do about our health, if we don't apply their words and take that medicine or get that new health regimen or whatever we need to do, then... We're missing the whole idea. It's got to come down to brass tacks in that way. That's what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God. I don't know if that helps us to get a little bit different picture, but that's the progression in these uh, verses. And, and we probably should pause here and talk for a moment because the central crux of this passage is not just hearing but doing the word. What does it mean to do the word of God? And we want to take this in context because it could be easy for us to think that, well, there's just a, a certain list of religious practices and moral things that we need to do, and that's what Jesus is talking about. But if we thought that way, we'd be kind of missing all of what we've just read. Now, now I know it was a number of months ago, weeks and weeks ago, that we started out on the Sermon on the Mount. But remember some of the very first words? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember walking through uh, the latter part of, of uh, chapter 5 where it talks about the fact that it's not just the, the outward things that we do, whether we're murdering or committing adultery or lying, but it's about the internal, about the heart issues, the unfaithful heart, the false heart, the angry heart that are at issue. So when Jesus talks, I think we need to realize about doing the word, he's talking about Believing in him, that's part of doing the word. And he's talking about things deep inside, not just outward actions that we would take. Okay, so that's, I think, really important for us. The first thing that Jesus tells us to do is to believe in him. Repent and believe. Put our trust in, in him. So that's the, the doing that we ought to start 
out with. I like what uh, Iris Murdoch said. At crucial moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is already over. At crucial moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is already over. Once your house is there standing and the storm clouds are on the horizon and they're barreling down at how many hours, you know, we all had the horrible storms the number of years ago with the tornadoes. It's too late to build a tornado shelter when the tornadoes are coming from Tuscaloosa. It's, it's too late at that time, Jesus is saying. He's saying, do, do now. Be, begin to, to build our lives that way. Walk in this pathway. Take the next step. If you don't know all the steps, take the next step. Start walking in that pathway. It's something we need to begin to do today, not put off till tomorrow. And then Jesus says this, too, and we'll, we'll talk for a moment about the false and true prophets. You know, he lays out some consequences. He says this isn't just a, a little thing. Did you see all of these in the verses? He says that the, uh, the, the pathway to uh, the, the, the narrow path leads to life and the, the broad way leads to destruction. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He goes on and he says every tree that does not bear uh, good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. That's not a warm fuzzy feeling he's telling of course we read it he tells the people that are crying out lord lord they seem to have something going on spiritually he says i never knew you and then he says in the last part of it verse 27 hard for us to hear but if we built our house on the sand it's going to fall and great is the fall of it so it's significant he's saying It, it really matters how we plant our foot what path we go down how we build our house. Let's take a look in, in a little bit more zoomed in fashion than at verses 15 through 20. Take a look with, those, with me at those verses. He talks about there being two uh, types of teachers. There's a false teacher and there's a true. And I think what he wants us to realize here is just that, as I said a minute ago, it's really dangerous. So where, the, the place that we entrust our soul, our spiritual life, and the teaching that we hear and receive, it's, it's really important and it can be dangerous to look the wrong way for those things. I, I like what R.C. Sproul said. He says, it's one thing to protect the right of every religious person to follow the dictates of his conscience without fear of persecution. It's another thing to say that opposing convictions are both true. We must know the difference between equal toleration under the law and equal validity according to truth. Do you believe that today? Now, when Jesus talks about discerning danger, I don't think he's, he's so concerned about those matters that we just, you know, we wrestle with and debate over among uh, believers, among folks who are all going to be in heaven together. You know, we know that different churches understand and think about baptism a little bit differently and even matters of God's sovereignty and salvation versus man's uh, choosing and how you organize. You're going to have elders or deacons and how are those going to be structured? Now, we, you know, we can have our good convictions and maybe know from Scripture why we, why we feel that way about those things. But what, what Jesus is talking about here is about falsehood versus truth. And the need to really discern that. And, and I guess my, my question for us today is, you know, are, are we like the folks in Acts chapter 17? 
who it says there the Apostle Paul was speaking to them. The Apostle Paul, not, not little old Chris Peters up here, the Apostle Paul was speaking to them, and they searched the Scriptures to see if what he said was true. That's what it says in Acts chapter 17. Most definitely that means that we as a, a church family ought to be people of, of God's Word. That's part of why we've been, been going through the sort of catechism thing and encouraging us to be doing that because it, it gives us a systematic approach to this. Uh, others of us maybe do something of reading through the Bible each year and read a couple of chapters each day or we're in a small group Bible study or some other setting. Some of you have told me you, you, know, you track along and look at the worship guide and see what the sermon is for the next week and read some of that ahead. What, whatever we're doing, we ought to be people of the book. That's who we are as believers, people of the book. That's how we're going to discern between true and false. And Jesus says it's really important. It's important not only because there's a danger, but there's, there's deception at hand as well. How do the false prophets come? Do they, do they announce themselves and, and show themselves forth to be false? Ah, they come wrapped up in sheep's clothing. They look warm and fuzzy. They look, they look good. Jesus says we ought to be discerning. Listen to this description of uh, someone that we might call one of the most significant leaders of the 20th century. Listen to this description that was given to him. He made free use of Christian vocabulary. He talked about the blessing of the Almighty and the Christian confessions, which would become the pillars of the new government he was forming. He assumed the earnestness of a man weighed down by historic responsibility. He handed out pious stories to the press, especially the church papers, and showed his tattered Bible and declared that he drew strength from it for his great work as scores of pious people welcomed him as a man sent from God. Indeed, Adolf Hitler was a master of outward religiosity with no inward Reality. Did y'all know that? Folks in Germany thought, hey, we've got a great biblical, godly leader here. A few people, they called themselves the Confessing Church, said, no, this is, this is not what the Scriptures teach, and we refuse to bow the knee. But most of the people went along. No discernment for that false versus true. So we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for one another. And we... We need to be diligent in our study of God's word and our faithfulness as God's people to his word, uh, not to just sort of fill ourselves with information, but so that we'd be more discerning. You know, you've probably heard how the, the Secret Service, you know, they don't just guard the president. They also uh, are concerned with uh, counterfeit uh, crimes. You know how they discern uh, which bills are incorrect. You know how they train them to do that? They set before them the authentic thing, a real dollar bill. And I'm told they, they study for hours. Imagine doing this. You know, we think, hey, cool job, carry a gun, dive in front of people and save people's lives. Awesome. Well, apparently part of their training is, you know, studying a dollar bill hours upon hours. Why do they do that? When you study the authentic thing, you don't have to know every other way that you can make a false thing. You know what the authentic one looks like. And you can easily put that up against it and discern. That ought to be true for us, too. Jesus, that's what Jesus is saying with the kingdom. He's saying, just walk with me. Look at me. See, see me. Know me. 
And then these other things will become quite clear. There'll be discernment that we maybe didn't even know we had. Are we looking at Jesus in that kind of way that we might be discerning people in the spiritual realm? Last thing we see in these uh, verses is, again, a, a familiar set of verses, but read back through these with me again. And I know perhaps some of us, again, I'm, I'm making an assumption. I know some here maybe, you know, your background didn't, didn't include a whole, whole lot of uh, vacation Bible school or Bible upbringing. That's actually true of me, too, so I understand. But I know many of us, it, it has. And so we, we almost hear the story about the house and the sand and the rock, and it's, uh, it's a fairy tale. It, it, it appears in our mind in a children's Bible image, and it almost seems like something imaginary or out there. And Jesus wants the exact opposite, right? He wants it to be very, very real and applicable to us. So it says here, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What an awesome picture of how our lives can be spiritually. Okay, now we, we focus. We already read about the destruction. I think I've already talked about that probably enough. But what an amazing picture to, to have a life that's grounded. And we all know we get jostled back and forth. And we need one another to support each other. So I don't, I don't think this is a passage that says that somehow we're going to be so solid spiritually that we never need anybody else. But the fact is, is Jesus is making us a real a wonderful promise here. He's saying, if you will be people that trust me and do my word, don't just hear it, but actually do it, then your life can resist all kinds of things, things you wouldn't even imagine. And somehow, by God's grace, you can walk steadily through it. What a picture. Many of you know I, uh, I grew up in the Chicago area. And so one of the tours we did regularly, we'd go down to the Field Museum and the Science and Industry. And I already talked about Brookfield Zoo a couple of weeks ago in the Sunday school class. So we would do all kinds of things. But one of the ones we would do was the Sears Tower, the Willis Tower. Now they've changed everything up up there. But the, the tallest building in the world at the time, I think it was. And, and, and I may have shared this before, but, but it was fascinating, you know, even as a youngster to go on that tour. It's been, I, I, haven't, I haven't done it as an adult, but, the, you know, they take you through the building and they show you all about it, all these facts about the Sears Tower. And, and, it, and it's amazing to find out how much uh, plumbing is through the entire building, enough to go to Texas, you know, nine times and back from Chicago. And there's so much wire in it, enough to wrap around the whole world twice or something. You know, it's unbelievable the amount of stuff that's there. But, but the most amazing thing to me was the fact that the building actually moves. I don't know if you, you know that, but it, it, it moves at the top in, in the you know, harsh weather coming off the lake, those forceful Chicago winds. The building actually sways two or three feet at the top. It's kind of designed that way. And if you're actually up in the top of the building on a windy day, you can almost feel it happen. You get a little seasick because the building moves just a tad. And I, and I remember as a little one, you know, thinking, okay, how does that happen? I mean, think about a huge building. How does it not just topple over? Because it's, it's a big old thing. How does it move that much and not topple over? And I remember seeing that picture that they show how they built the foundation of that incredible 110 story building 
way deep down into the ground. I don't think it's hundreds of feet, but a, a, a huge depth. Steel girders that are probably, you know, the width of this whole space that we're in at their base are anchored with huge bolts into the bedrock of that Chicago area. And they run up into the tower and give it that stability so that even though it sways, even though those winds come, it's not going to blow over. What a picture for us of the way Jesus' words can work in our life. People of God, let's bring this home in a couple of ways. The fact is that if we are kind of drawn in, sucked into our culture, and if we're building our house on the covetousness and the greed and the materialism of the so-called American dream, that thing's going to come crashing down around us. If it's not the constant anxiety of worrying about whether we'll be able to keep up with the Joneses or trying to get the next promotion or trying to look like we have all those things. Nothing wrong with pursuing a good, godly, material benefit. But if that's our end, that's our goal, it's going to crash around us. If our kids, parents, if our kids have become for us some kind of idol, and that is life and their perfection and even their success, which is a good thing for us to wish for. If that becomes the be-all to end-all for us, that's going to come crashing down. It doesn't hold water. It can't stand. If uh, our worship in our culture of our sort of body image, our appearance, good thing to be uh, healthy, good thing to try to pursue being physically fit and even look our best, but But if that becomes our God, it's an endless chasing after the wind, isn't it? And it's ultimately an empty thing for our lives. If we're allowing ourselves to go unchecked in the pathway of our lustful and adulterous culture, whether we're just drawn into that in the mental realm through the risque novel or the visual realm of pornography and the movies that are out there, or we're stepping outside just a bit of our marriage commitment and our thought life or even in our actions. Jesus says, hey, that good thing that's intended for a man and a woman to enjoy in a marriage covenant, that thing's going to crush you if you uh, don't use it and handle it the way Jesus says. Or, and I'll say this lastly, if we're building our house, as it says in Matthew chapter 6, on, on our religious uh, practices, on being pretty par- prayerful people, being pretty giving people, even practicing things like fasting, Jesus says. And if we're doing that, but our whole focus is for us to sort of look spiritual to ourselves or others around us, that thing's going to come crashing down too. Jesus gives us in this Sermon on the Mount good words for us to hear, for us to do. And, and, and when we begin to build our house on the rock, it's not just going to be a house. To me, it's going to be a, a picture. And I hope we've seen that in our lives and the lives of others around us, of that Sears Tower rising up tremendously and having a huge impact for the kingdom of God. Would that be true of you and of me? Let's pray together. Father, we uh, pray now that 
you would help us to be those who put out from our thinking any mindset that there's a sort of neutral way to muddle along in life. And instead, we would believe wholeheartedly that there is a path that you call us to and we need to get on it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you provide the way for sinful people like us to get on that path through your mercy and grace, and that your path is a gracious one. We desire for you to give us that wisdom, and then we ask, Lord, that you would uh, allow us to be people that really understand your word, not just because it's something to do, go to a Sunday school or a Bible study, but because uh, part of that is we want to be discerning. We know there's false messages out there. We want to hear the truth clearly. And then, Lord, we ask that you would allow us to even go beyond that. And the things that we hear and have discerned to be true, that they would not simply fill our minds, but that we would be people that do them. Most of all, Lord Jesus, that we would believe that you love us, uh, that your way for us is best, and we would walk in step with you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.